0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast, delighted you could join us, I'm Seb Lozier and this week we're with one of the game's great characters. Swede Freddie Rosengren has coached some of the game's greats, including his countryman Magnus Norman, Jonas Bjorkman and Robin Söderling, but he's recently turned his attentions to 23-year-old Russian Karen Hachinov, who breached the world's top 10 for the first time in 2019. I was joined for an extended chat with Freddie. He spoke to me about the new coaching relationship with Karen, life on tour and all that he's learned over the years. But we started inevitably with how he's coping in these strange times of lockdown.
1: Yeah, thank you for asking Sam. Uh, I hope you are well too. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm fine. We are fine. Uh, You know, I'm back home in Växjö in Sweden and uh, actually Sweden is uh, not completely locked down so taking a walk with my wife i go into the tennis courts, you know in the tennis hall the tennis club watching a little bit the kids are practicing and so uh, my days are actually okay i mean it's it's a strange strange situation for everyone and and uh, i mean everybody are suffering right now so uh, but we have to be positive and and uh, we have to trust the experts so in this situation right now in our country where we are right now, they 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 think this is the right way, not to be 100% indoor, you know, and and they let us take a lot of uh, own responsibilities. How can we know if it's gonna be right or wrong? It's it, it's impossible to know.
0: It is, and it's a, it's affecting everyone, I guess, in the same way. Everyone in in tennis, the same way. I mean, t- let's talk about. We'll, we'll get on to the real practicalities of remote coaching in, in a little while. But I mean, you're in Sweden at the moment. You're now helping out with Karen Hachanov, the Russian. I guess he's back in in Russia, is he? I mean, what what is practically? How are you doing things at the moment? Is there lots of FaceTime? Are there phone calls, Skype? How are you doing it?
1: It's interesting. It's, it's a new thing from for everybody. We stay in touch, of course, uh, you know, texting, uh, calling, and, and, uh, but at the moment, it's not too much we can do. I mean, he, he, he tried to keep uh, physically as much as possible. He was uh, also hitting a little bit last week, you know, but I mean, everything is pretty low. And, and I think for everyone, it's the same situation. We don't know when we're going to start. So, uh, I mean, we, we try to, you know, talk about uh, things more likely about life, about life. How is everything up there? What are Sweden doing? What are Russia doing uh, regarding Corona? And uh, I mean, as we said, we, we are everybody in the same boat, same situation. We have to, to keep it up in a good way.
0: And I really do want to get on to, you know, some of the the nitty gritty about how players might try and keep fit for for tennis. Obviously, it's not the same as playing matches. Before we do that, though, let's just rewind a bit. Because last time I spoke to you, you were saying that you were going to go maybe take some time away, that you wanted to spend more time with the family. Um, You'd obviously been working with Kyle Edmund alongside Mark Hilton. How did this all come about? Because all all of a sudden, you're working with Karen Khachanov, this wonderful young Russian player. How did this come about?
1: As you know, I, I took almost the, the whole year off last year. I quit with Kyle in uh, February and uh, I had a great year back home. was commentating a lot. I did all the, the Masters 1000 tournaments from Stockholm and, you know, that means you're having more more weekends free with the family. You own your the schedule, you know, for the first time almost in life. You you have a lot of weekends Free and, and you can you can uh, see friends and, and this. So it was a great year, but, and it wasn't an easy decision. I mean, uh, I know Karen for a while and uh, we have been in touch before regarding this. So I don't know if I would have been saying yes if there would have been another player. So Karen asked me again and uh, yeah, you're sitting down with your, your wife and you talk and, and uh, you know, it wasn't the easy decision, but as you said, Karen is a, is a very nice guy. And, and uh, actually, the, the TV station I work for, the Channel, they lost the TV rights in Sweden. Uh, so what I'm going to do 2020, that was the question. you know. So And then this came up very quick in the end of October, I guess. And uh, yeah, so uh, we were sitting down and then I said, yes. I mean, Karen is such a nice guy. And and. Uh, you can have worse job than being a tennis coach on on the tour. So uh, I've been back a little bit uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun.
0: Vedran Martic, Karen's previous coach, noticeably worked on the serve in 2018, had some great results. Karen went top 10. He was a Masters 1000 winner all of a sudden. Where do you think you can help him? Where do you think you can make those percentage gains? Is it in the consistency of his game? Is it in the mental approach, which I know you're huge, uh, you're, you're big on. Um, how are you going to improve him?
1: When you get a new play in your hand, you, you have a white pipe, a paper, right? With nothing, you know. Of course, I knew him, so I have been watching him a lot. But then when you start working with him, you, you have to do a diagnostic. That's the number one thing in different departments. You know, you, you look at him as, how does he look today Physically, mentally, tactically, technically. That is the four things you start looking at. And then, depending on his goals, what he wants, you start talking to him and you tell him that I think this and this and this is very important. Small detail. He's already, he was already top 10 players and top, you know, top 20 players. Technically, all these guys, they pretty much very, very good. So, uh, you have to find out these small details. You have to ask you a lot of questions. Why did he not win in tournaments 2019? What happened? What went wrong? You know what I mean. I mean, he's, he's still a top 20 player, but how, how can he go back to top 10? What does he need? That is the question. And then you have to implant that with him, and then you have to go to work. So... Uh, I hope I can help him with my experience and I I mean these things doesn't necessarily be you have to change something in his game or on court it can be something outside the court you know it can be something mentally or organization or whatever because as you know he became a father he's married he's 24 years old he had a a lot of expectation because he won these big tournaments early in his in his career, and that means the pressure and the expectations from sponsors, from everybody, go high. How do you deal with that? So, it's a lot of puzzle pieces you have to work on and get together. So, I, I hope I can help. Have uh, we haven't worked so much yet, you know. So, uh, but in all these the portmans, all these pieces. I hope I can uh, move him in the the right direction.
0: And him obviously wanting to, you know, reach out to, to improve himself. Do you think a certain Mr. Medvedev has had anything to do with this? Because... You know, all of a sudden, Daniel Medvedev he's the top-ranked Russian. He's a similar age. He's now five in the world. He's gone away. He's worked on his mental side of his game. Has do you think he's raised the bar in a way for the guys who were, who always grew up with him, like Karen, like Andrey Rublev? They're now looking at him, going, "Hang on a minute! I was ranked above you, and now you've hopped above me. I don't, I don't like this."
1: <laughs> yeah. But this is this is tennis, you know. I don't I don't think that affects him negative or or I mean, it's always good to, to look at the best a little bit, you know. And then you have to do your own way, of course. I don't. I mean, he can not be stressed because other Russian guys are above him. I mean, in one way, I think he's pretty happy about the success uh, Medvedev and and also Rublev has. They are good friends. Uh, it's good for each other. They're practicing travel together, eating dinner together, you know. So I can't see any negative that that will make him or, or in a positive way that, that that will make him work harder because some other Russian or uh, before him in the rank. I mean, this is what you want with your tennis. That is the number one thing you have to, to think about. You have to put your own goals. And I don't think Karen's goal is to be in front of these guys. You know, I think his goal is to improve his game so he can handle the big guys. doesn't matter if they are Russian or Serbians or, or Spaniards or whatever. I think that is the number one thing to improve his game so he can beat the best guys, so he can win big tournaments. That is what I think you have to focus on, not because the guys in front of him, they're just names. Of course, you can pick some good things from everyone uh, if you if you if you look at the best what they are doing, but not too much. You have to find out your way.
0: And in Karen's case, I mean, the upside is just his physicality. He reminds you, you know, of of a Safin or someone like that. You know, he's he's so big, he's strong. He hits the cover off the ball. You know, we've seen him do that to Djokovic in in Paris. Um, he was playing lights out tennis. Do you think he is willing, from what you've seen so far, we, we all know about your famous work ethic, um, do you think he's going to want to knuckle down and, and really put in the hard yards?
1: Definitely. As I said, you have to find a balance with your life also. Life on court, on, on tour, life uh, off, off tour. Get the balance where you, where you have a good feeling, where you have a good... Uh, I mean, it's not an easy life to manage all these things, to manage... Also, uh, you know, big team, family, all this stuff. But I can't see any hurdles, obstacles. or doesn't want him to become a great player, you know, even better, even greater, even, you know, winning more tournaments, being up there. I think he's he putting in a lot of work. So uh, I'm there. I want him to change some things, and we're working on it. We talk a lot about it, what to do to become better in all the departments. So, uh, I mean... He, he wants to work. He knows exactly what it takes to be up there. It's a big process to get used to being a, a top-ranked player when he comes to tournament, when he's top-seeded. All this stuff is so much mentally, so much mentally, of course. So, uh, but he, he wants to work and he wants to be up there.
0: If we weren't in this situation, how many weeks of the year are you going to be with him? I mean, are you looking now at being back full-time on tour? or What, have you, what kind of arrangements have you come to?
1: About 200 days. And also the responsibility for the team, you know, like, like getting a new coach, making another 10, 12 weeks uh, because run quit. So uh, now we have another guy who was supposed to, to, to start with us and and all these things keeping the communication with the team in a daily basis uh, you know these days compared to when I'm started on tour or in the in the you know beginning of 2000 and this we it was you know me and the player so it's so much bigger teams now uh, the communication is very important very very important what to do what everybody thinks the input from all the coaches physios all you know Somehow, it's a little bit more complicated. But also, I think the, the bigger teams make also the players playing longer. You know, they're taking care of their bodies in a the, in the different way these days.
0: I mentioned I wanted to ask you about this current situation. I mean, how does this really test the tennis players, maybe in a way that they've never been tested before?
1: Definitely, it's about what kind of personality you are. And also where you are in, in, in your career, the level, ranking, the social uh, situation, do you have family? I mean, you can see these, these weeks as so I can be with my, my family for the first time in, in 10 years, more than one week. So I think somebody will will profit in a positive way and somebody, of course, in a negative way, because they they are desperate to practice playing tournaments they are almost getting depressive when they're not playing some other players they are very cool and say what can we do you know you can't affect it this you know when we start playing and why why using energy on things you can't affect i mean you have to be cool right now you have to keep your body going you have to be patient so i'm pretty sure they manage that very different differently Maybe some players, they, they live in a warm place. They have, a, they have maybe a court in your, in your backyard. So maybe they're playing. Uh, this is the thing what you don't know right now. What are your opponents doing? How much are they practicing? What can they do? Do they have a gym in their house? Or, because they're not allowed to go to the gym. I think everyone handles this situation also very differently. Uh, physically. And also mentally, of course.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, probably the one thing lots of tennis players don't want at home <laughs> is a tennis court because they, they play so much tennis. But at the moment, it's been flipped on its head, hasn't it? And they all want a tennis court at home. But I guess
1: some of them have them, some of them won't. And that actually stressed me as a coach a little bit. You know, what are the others doing? I know what my players is doing, but what are the others doing? Are they working so hard right now or are they sitting in the the couch with the family watching tv playing video games you know like it was off season not practicing you know holidays back home so this is what stressed me as a coach a little bit you know if I would have been coaching a Swedish guy in my hometown for example or in Stockholm right now we could have been working but Karen and me, we can travel. We never know if I go to Russia, I don't know if I'm coming back, you know, or <laughs> I'm coming back, but when and the same situation with him, and other players in the world. So, how many players right now have their coach at home maybe Maybe this is better because he doesn't need to see me. <laughs> So it, it, it's not easy to say what, they are, what the other players are doing right now. You don't see too much on Instagram. they do not posting what they are doing. And that can, I mean, the whole year that can be fake anyway. So you never know.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned before, Karen is, you know, he's got a young family. Um, maybe he, he can take the positives, as you say, about, you know, spending time with them when normally he wouldn't have been able to.
1: Definitely, and the rest of the family also. A lot of, lot of uh, players, uh, uh, male and females, they are traveling so much and they, they have no time to, to see your sisters and brothers. And so you have to take care of the situation, I think, and do the best out of it. Can be good for many players, can be good also. And that's what I expect when we're, coming out, when we're going out there again on the tour that these players, all these players, they are very hungry you know, very hungry to practice, very hungry to compete again. I think after a while we will for sure see different levels from the players when we start again. Who has done the homework, you know, like in, in off season in this, you know, this. So but after a while, I hope I will see a lot of healthy players, you know. Nobody's injured anymore. They have been taking care of that. And also hungry and good level, everybody fighting, you know, and also if you see it in a human being perspective, I think for the world, maybe it's a good situation to, to, you know, stop and think, what are we doing with our world? What are we doing with people around us? You know, all this stuff, maybe it's a little bit time to, to think right now
0: we got a lot of time to think about it. I mean, but across all kinds of jobs, you know, it's going to affect whether maybe people think they need to go into an office every day. You know, there are certain jobs, obviously, where people need to go into, you know, whether it's a hospital or a doctor's surgery, people need to be in certain places. But even for tennis and where coaches have more of a, you know, where it's possible to have a a more remote distance relationship, do you think this could actually have a long, a far-reaching effect on how, Players and coaches work together. Maybe if a player and a coach have a more, a looser relationship where it's sort of a 20, 25 weeks a year kind of thing. Do you think actually that the distance coaching could come in more in the future because of this?
1: I think for sure it can be very good for, as you said, the, the different jobs. You know, when you miss something, you know what you had. So for some players, coaches, whatever it is, it doesn't matter which actually what kind of profession we have. I think you're sitting home now and you miss your job. Not everybody can work, work from home. So I think it can be so good for everyone in the world because we are, we are human beings and we are complaining a lot, right? You know, we're complaining about that. We're complaining about this. And now we see after a couple of weeks, How boring it is, actually, to be home, not be able to do your work. So I think a lot of people, you know, have time to think that uh, I'm very privileged. I'm doing this. I want my job back. I want to work. Can be good for everyone. But let's see with the coaching player situation. I mean, uh, of course, we're talking. Actually, I hope a lot of players and coaching are talking about more things than tennis when they're eating together. So uh, right now, of course, we do, because we can't talk too much tennis. Well, There's no reason to talk tennis right now.
0: On iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com, this is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. You're listening to a recent chat with Freddie Rosengren, coach of Karen Hatchanoff. We'll be back with Freddie shortly, but just to say that if you haven't done already, it's well worth exhausting our recent back catalogue, because over these past few weeks, We've spoken at length with, well, a number of people in and around the game, from ATP chairman uh, Andrea Gaudenzi and Feliciano Lopez, who uh, whose virtual tennis tournament in Madrid proved a massive hit, plus Jamie Delgado, coach of Andy Murray, Mike Bryan and Sam Querrey, two American players, and another legendary coach of both Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, Paul Anacone. Head to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, tune in all your favourite podcast provider to find all of those and much more. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast too, so you never miss one again. And you can also leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing and what we can do better. Back now though to Freddie Rosengren. And now that he's working with Karen Hatchinov, I asked him if the Russian reminds him of any of those players he's coached before. From Jonas Bjorkman, Magnus Norman and Mario Ančić to Robin Sodling and most recently, Kyle Edmund.
1: Somehow they, they, are, they are all different. Uh, and somehow they are similar. You know, they... they um,
0: Who does he remind you of the most?
1: Very tough to say. I don't think I have seen care enough in a successful period or in a very ne- or in a negative you, you have to see more to find out that I guess how he react as a tennis player how he react as a human being let's say top five in the world how he is reacting if he losing his ranking now how he is reacting is he the guy who who, who is going out and work even harder or in success or is he the guy who i'm so good i don't need to work hard you know like this but i i don't think i have been enough with him to to actually answer that kind of question right now i mean the only thing i know is we're working good together we having fun when we have dinners we and i think that was the 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 situation for most of the players I work with, you know, because I think it's too difficult to to have success or to work hard if you don't have a the respect for each other or or wants to leave your home for four weeks, five weeks, you know, like this. I don't think you would be out there if, if that would be the case, you know. So uh, I have been maybe I have been lucky, you know, to have guys I'm really like to work with. I've seen the the improvement uh, because this is. That means everything to me, you know, that they are good guys, first of all, that you have fun, but also that they want to become a better player. And I will be, you know, a small part of that, but I have the feeling they listen, they respect me, trust me. It's all about that. If that stops or is not the case, you can't work together. Tough, tough question, actually.
0: Let, well, let me ask you an easier one, but in along the same lines, and this is a selfish one from my perspective because I love hearing your your stories. But I mean, Karen obviously has aspirations to be top five, right? I mean, that, that's a logical aspiration for him to have. He's gone top ten. We, I'd assume that he would want to go top five at least, and he certainly looks to have the ability to do that. You've worked with guys like Bjorkman, uh, like Sodling, like Edmund. They've been. Norman, in Magnus' case, he was two in the world. Is there a favourite story that you have that you would line up and sort of talk to Karen about those guys, about how they reached those heights in the game? I mean, you know, because they did do some incredible things to get themselves there, didn't they?
1: Yeah, this is what... what I have all this experience, right? Okay, But it's also a balance. What do you tell this new uh, young generation I have the feeling today that young generation doesn't want to hear too much about your older players, you know, what you have been coaching, he did that and that and that and blah 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 I actually at the moment I try to of course I'm telling some stories because this is the way sometimes I try to teach them how much work it takes to be up there and what happened when you are up there. I think these stories were helping Kyle Edmund, for example, when he went to Melbourne and he started his journey to the semifinal. I told him every evening in my room, we were sitting in my room, and I told him what's going to happen tomorrow when we're going out there. You're playing the last 16. What's going ha- to happen with practice? What, you, you will find out everybody wants to talk to you. You will find out that 500 people watching your practice. You will find out that the four TV teams will have an interview with you. Everything is new. So this kind of experience, of course, I can help a player on the way up there. What I went through as a coach with my player having that kind of success. So uh, I think that is very important. But every day to tell stories, maybe they because I, I, I'm more like this, I want them to ask me. And that is what I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a little bit from these. They're not curious and, uh, enough, you know, to why, why, why did Magnus won 10 tournaments in 18 months? These kind of questions. Maybe I can't answer them, but there are so many stories about this, about his journey, this, all these uh, uh, tournament wins, but also the way he worked, the, you know. I told actually Karen one thing when we were in, in ATP Cup in Sydney, because just outside the, the uh, uh, where you come into the arena, outside there is a, is a practice court. And 2001, Magnus was four in the world, three in the world, I don't remember. He lost final in Sydney to Hewitt. And Everybody was gone, you know, in in Melbourne already for for Australian Open. And Magnus Lott, in the heat, it was 35 degrees at least. Lost to you. He told me to pick up balls straight after losing a final to go out on this practice court. Because we were staying there, Karen, the whole team, were staying there waiting for our car to go back to the hotel. I was in this court and I told the story that we went out for one and a half hours hitting balls after losing a final, and then go to Melbourne, you know. I don't think too many players would do that today. <laughs> and I don't know if it, if it is a good thing to do or not. It was just Magnus' way to help him to, you know, forget his, his, his final loss and, and try to work on something. So he just put it behind him, you know, the final loss behind him. And now, Peter, we can go to Melbourne and, and do our job there. So I told the story. They were laughing, and I don't know. Karen will ever say, "If come, we go out for an hour in the heat and hit more balls," or you know. So uh, these stories, I don't know if they help or 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 destroy them. But you have some players. They they never blame anyone for losing except themselves. They never think they are good enough. So, so many different personalities. Before the room final, 2000, Magnus beat Huey uh, beat in the semi-final, Six love, six three. Killed him. And after <laughs> after that win, we knew he would be uh, number one in the race. You know, we had a race at that time. And I was so happy, you know. Final in Rome, playing Guga, you know, this. I was just sitting in the locker room when he came in there. And I jumped up and, uh, jumped up and, and you know, hugged him and said, congratulations. And he just, you, you know, well, hit me in the, in the stomach a little bit, you know, like, like looking at me and said, Peter, if I don't win tomorrow, it means nothing. <laughs> and I was looking at him and, and, and he said, yes, because if I don't win tomorrow, I leave here as a loser. That was the way he saw being in the final, being number one in the race, but leaving Rome as a loser, will means, you know, he not won the tournament. So how can I be happy about a ranking place or I lost in the final? So, and actually, he, he went out the next day and, and beat Guga 3-1. That is another story. But this is uh, how people are, you know.
0: It sounds like he was a real, <laughs> he was a real character to coach, and it's I'd be fascinated to ask him as well about some of these things and how it also it translates now to him being a coach and you know because I can't imagine Stan Varinka going out after losing a final and and hitting balls in thirty five degrees for for an hour and a half either so you know it, 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 you you change I'm sure lots of his character traits are exactly the same but what he can expect a player to do now is probably different
1: to what he did. Yeah, this is this is also the, the the nice part of being a coach. You have to change. You, I, I change for sure a lot, for sure. I learn every day stuff. Every day I learn from everyone, from players, from coaches. Uh, the times are uh, different now. You see that, that most of the players are playing a little bit less tennis, more into the gym, the physical part. So. A lot of things change. And as a coach, you, you you can't just tell we did that in 1995, you know. So we have to do this even today, you know. This, this, the, I don't think that works. So because everything is different in a good and a bad way, of course. You have to change yourself also because you work with different The social media at that time was nothing. You know, we, don't, we, we didn't have a, uh, even an iPhone or, you know, a mobile telephone. So, so many things you have to deal with. New things. And uh, as a coach also, of course.
0: What's your biggest success?
1: My biggest success. My biggest success is that during the years, I gave everything for all my players. I tried to always see myself in the mirror and that I, I did everything for him stand up for him, and they are good guys, you know, I keep the relationship after we quit all the players, they're all good guys, you know, I'm very proud that I am have been a little bit small part of their career, you know, make them always move, I have to say, always move in the right direction, They they become a better ranking than when we started, and then it's nice to know you know, I help them to earn winning tournaments, earn money. But I think the number one thing is that everybody actually are good, good people. And also, most of my players are involved in tennis after. I was very proud one year in women, proud, but it wasn't, maybe that is a wrong word because that is their life, what they are doing after. But that that was a good feeling when. Uh, you know, Mario was working with Nola in Wimbledon. Jonas was there working. Magnus Norman was there working. I was still there working. You know, and I, I knew uh, 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 Pim, Pim Johansson is working with tennis. Söderling is, is now now Davis Cup captain in Sweden. And, you know, they are all still in, involved in tennis. So that means, and I think, I hope, I teach them a little bit what they or need for their coaching career. I hope so. But we, that uh, we, when we see each other, that we are very happy to see each other. I think that is the best. To get a hug from Kyle, to get a hug from Jonas, uh, Robin, you know, these things. You, you, you have a good relationship with the players. I think that is what I'm most proud of. And of course, I was proud. I was proud. Always proud when they win tournaments. I was very proud when, when Kyle Edmond won in Antwerp or thirdly or one in Boston or, or you know I've been winning with six players and, and that is I think six players and that is fantastic
0: On the flip side is there a, a, a one regret that you have in tennis?
1: Many but that is what, what is also about coaching You because you learn so much always and you you analyse after every match we are losing. Could we have done something better? Could should we have been practicing more or less? Should we have done this or that? So of course we took, I took bad decisions for sure. A lot of things. Some tactical coaching against players, uh, or also Magnus and me after his his injury, we went straight back to the big tour. We should have been playing smaller tournaments, building his confidence again. They are so, of course, during the, 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 my coaching career, uh, but you also learn, you know, you, you use that experience for the next guy. So, But one thing, again, what, what maybe I'm most proud of is that I have been never afraid of losing my job. I have always been telling my players what I think is good for them, even if it hurts a lot to tell them and to receive the message because it's never nice to tell a player and it's also not nice for the player to receive what is not good, you know, when you tell them the truth. And and I think I'm still doing it and I think I have always done it and we are in, in 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 a very strange situation because you're coaching the guy who pays you. So I think a lot of coaches, physical coaches, tennis, whatever, they are very afraid of losing the job because they don't want to tell them. But my policy has always been to tell them what I think will make them a better player. I can, of course, telling them a lot of wrong stuff, of course. But I have been telling them what I believe in.
0: Thanks once again to the wonderful Freddie Rosengren, coach of Karen Hatchanoff. Great to have Freddie back on tour. I'm Seb Lozier. Our next podcast release is on Wednesday. That's another podcast special this time with pakistani tennis player isam ulhak Qureshi who's been right on the front line in the battle against coronavirus delivering food and aid to the disadvantaged families of lahore totally inspiring definitely well worth a listen and we'll then be back again next sunday with more exclusive content for now though stay safe join us next time If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review, review.